Welcome to another edition of The Policy Shop, a special election edition of The Policy Shop. I'm Joe Kaiser, and today, as everyone across the state, and the country really, processes the results of Tuesday's midterm elections, we're going to look forward on what the results from November 6th mean here in Illinois for you, the taxpayer. At a glance, it seems like House Speaker Mike Madigan had a very good day. He gained seats, his guy won the governor's mansion. But what does the balance of power look like now in Springfield? Who is going to call the shots for the Democratic Party, Pritzker or Madigan? And what policy opportunities exist now that all the pressure to deliver is on Pritzker, Madigan, and Madigan's representatives? It's not all doom and gloom for taxpayers. You'll find out why on one of the most extensive post-election discussions you'll hear anywhere in Illinois this week. And it begins right now. People, when they react to elections, they kind of see it as the end-all, be-all, like maybe it didn't go the way you were hoping, and all of a sudden there's some fear that kind of sets in. But really, there's a lot we should be looking out for um, in the coming months with with the new um, General Assembly and a new governor. And a lot, we've talked about the progressive tax in this podcast a lot, but it doesn't mean that the progressive tax is here tomorrow just because J.B. Pritzker won the election. So there are things we have to look out for. Um, so let's start there. What, what did the biggest things that taxpayers should be on the lookout for now um, after the elections? Well, I think uh, the attempt to implement a progressive tax is obviously the uh, key fight coming up. J.B. Pritzker campaigned heavily on that idea. There were um, some attempts to pass a resolution supporting it in theory um, in the last General Assembly. So there's a lot of Democrats in the House in particular who will be on his side there. Um, but I think that there's a, a good sign that the information we've been putting out about the progressive tax, the fact that it is a Trojan horse for middle-class tax hikes, and that it's not the cure-all that it's being sold as, that it can't fulfill all of the promises being made on its back, that message is starting to penetrate. And I think you're seeing uh, media outlets pick that up, the newspapers, um, the Chicago Sun-Times, who endorsed J.B. Pritzker, it's a left-of-center left of newspaper, said today that it would be hard for him to fulfill his promise of both spending more money and giving or, and a progressive tax that doesn't hit the middle class. And if they're exactly right on the math there. Yeah, the Sun-Times pointing that out is huge. Um, so what does that look like now moving forward? Um, Pritzker will come into office in, in January. Um, what are the first steps to <clears throat> combating the progressive tax? I think you're right in that, like, and I don't think it's starry-eyed optimism to say that the progressive tax is not a done deal because Democrats had supermajorities in the House and the Senate for the first time in Illinois history in 2013, 2014, and the progressive tax didn't pass, uh, and a lot of things didn't pass. And minimum I think wage too. minimum wage, yeah. I mean, they they've had this opportunity before with an extremely uh, you know, reform-minded governor in Pat Quinn. And the question now, and it really really sets up the battle between, between Madigan and Pritzker for control of the Democratic Party. And there's going to be a cleavage there. Madigan is going to be concerned at every turn about maintaining his majority, and that's gonna go against some of the things that Pritzker has promised. Uh, now that so the big story obviously last night was the suburbs and now that illinois house 
the Illinois House, uh, Madigan's House, has skin in the game in the suburbs, that's hard to pass progressive tax in the suburbs because most of those suburban residents are going to be the ones who would pay higher taxes under that. Um, that said, you know, this is the, I looked last night, um, I was up late looking back at all of the General Assemblies since 1983 when Madigan became Speaker uh, and when the House was reduced to 118 members. And this is, the, this is the largest margin Democrats have ever had in the House. It's the largest margin overall they've ever had in the General Assembly. But still, the question is going to be Madigan and what he decides right. to play ball on. Let's remind people of 2013, 2014, um, because you mentioned they had an opportunity to pass some of this stuff, and they, and they didn't. Um, when people hear that this is the largest majority that they, they've had, it might be kind of scary for taxpayers. But like you said, just a couple of years ago, they didn't get it done. Why did they not? get anything done Adam could take it but I mean the partially it's because it's a it's a really hard idea to sell and it's it's going to be a tax hike and I think the biggest foe that Pritzker is going to have besides Madigan on some things that remains to be seen is just the math Uh, he's coming into office with eight billion dollars in unpaid bills that's unlike any other state we're almost at a junk rating the city of Chicago is junk rated CPS is junk rated highest pension debt to revenue ratio in the nation. Yeah, if, if he doesn't want to be governor junk, then he really can't go on the spending spree that he's been promising throughout the campaign. I mean, he's he's promised anywhere from 13 to 18 billion dollars in new spending and, you know, it's possible that he was just saying that for votes and then he doesn't intend to follow right. through. Uh in this case, we should hope he doesn't intend to follow through because the state can't afford it right now. Um, I just wanted to go back quickly to the the point that you made at the beginning, uh, that this is not the end of times, that there's still fights to be had, that there's still things that Lincoln lobby members and taxpayers generally can do to improve the future of the state. There's a great South Park episode, I'm a big fan of South Park, uh, where, they, where, they, where they sort of poke fun at the idea that, you know, if Romney wins the election versus Obama wins yeah. the election, it's going to be, you know, there's people going into nuclear bunkers and hiding, and then the day after, the world's still there, right? Well, that's that's sort of the situation we're in now. Illinois is still here, and none of these policies are a done deal just because J.B. Pritzker's in office and because the Democrats have a supermajority in both houses. There's people, there's Democrats that we can convince not to vote for a progressive tax and not to vote for new spending and, and programs that are going to damage uh, Illinois' finances. And it's been done before. And it's been exactly. Done yeah, right. it's important to remember that, and that's the thing with about elections in general. But especially this one, you hear like it's the most important election of our of our generation, and people were. I mean, tensions were really high. But you went outside today; the sun kind of came up. I mean, the, everything's still here, um, and the idea there are Democrats that can be convinced on some of these issues, as we've seen before. And it's important to remember these people. A lot of these people are politicians. They they want to, you know go with what public opinion is and if they feel the pressure they're going to change their mind and let's remember that the last tax hike that passed uh passed with 15 republican votes yeah in the house and a major reason for that is because uh mike madigan didn't want some of his members in swing districts to vote for a tax increase people like yingling up in lake county for example who has a, a tough race every year you know if he votes for a tax increase that that's against the interest of his district then he could lose the election and so and he has more swing he has more vulnerable members now not exactly. Less. I and mean, it's not like right. Democrats trounced incumbent Republicans in those districts. They were really tight races, and they were decided mostly by, uh, you know, vote by mail. So there's and a in ton a wave of, year. It's a, not like a, this is going to be a normal year. Exactly. Right. And I think it'd be a huge stretch, and I'm sure Madigan doesn't think this, to think that that's a, 
that's a referendum on a progressive tax. Um, it was very clear, especially in those areas that flipped Republican uh, incumbent to Democrat, that that was a Trump referendum. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's another reason to be hopeful is, and that's why we try to create communities like the Lincoln Lobby, like the Illinois Policy Facebook page in these communities is because it's always going to be this fine line between sort of a soft, vulnerable R and a soft, vulnerable Democrat. And uh, that's that still remains the case in a lot of these districts. And and um, you, you mentioned the idea of a mandate um, or a referendum on progressive taxes or the idea that Pritzker's coming into office with a mandate. Let's remember, and we were critical uh, ahead of the election for the fact that Pritzker had not released any details about his plans. The reason we had to come up with cost estimates for him was because he hadn't put them out there. He hadn't said what his rate schedule under progressive tax would look like. But there's actually two positive things that come out of that now after the election. First, he's not tied down with any particular promises. So that means there's things we can persuade him on um, where he won't necessarily look like a liar or look like he's going back on his word if he doesn't follow through because he's been so vague. Um, and you know the other good thing is he can't say that he has a mandate, right? I mean, it was a referendum on Bruce Rauner more than it was a positive affirmation of J.B. Pritzker's policies because he didn't give enough detail that it could have possibly been that. You know, had he put a rate schedule out and said, "This is what I'm going to do," and then won, you know, an overwhelming margin, it you know it would be easier for him to make the argument that the people supported his progressive tax. He didn't do that. He didn't come out with any details. So, you know he has no mandate and and that's an argument that that can be made to vulnerable legislators or legislators in swing districts and in suburbs where they don't want to get soaked by a progressive tax yeah and and, the, and those vulnerable uh legislators in swing districts madigan protecting them on the last income tax hike obviously worked they all won re-election but i think they they definitely felt the pressure i think moylan spent a lot of money on this election yingling spent a ton of money mostly madigan's money uh, on this election so they definitely felt the pressure um from people like people in the lincoln lobby just taxpayers who are keeping an eye on this stuff and that's encouraging and we, t we talked about progressive tax but there's actually some stuff that's going to be coming up even faster than that um, if you live in one of those districts where you have a newly elected Democratic member, you should be calling them immediately if you can get a hold of them and telling them, don't vote for Mike Madigan as Speaker of the House. Um, it's it's going to be hard, but it's possible that enough Democrats could refuse to vote for him that they might have to vote you know, a new Speaker in office. And I think there's already one. I, was it Terra Costa Howard who's already vowed not to vote? There's already one House Democrat that, that could in, be in um, office. Olson's district. The one oh, sorry, yeah, beat Olson. Beat David Olson beat has David already Olson. has, has yeah. ran on a campaign as a Democrat of not voting for Madigan for Speaker That's and didn't take Madigan's money. So you're you could possibly in come January, it's very likely that you'll have the first no vote or vote for an alternative speaker other than Madigan by a Democrat in the history of his speakership. We've only ever had, you've had two present votes. One was a guy, Martino, in the uh, early 80s uh, to mid 80s. And then you had Scott Drury mm -hmm. in that's 2016. Yeah. Uh, he voted present. But you have someone who's gone in, a Democrat that's gone in on a mandate to not vote for him for speaker. I so what does that look like? That's extremely encouraging because Scott Drury doing voting present uh, two years ago um, was a sign that the Madigan brand was starting to to get, be really unpopular, and you see that with a candidate running on the platform of not voting for for Mike Madigan. But there still are 
these legislators who are beholden to him, and you see them taking like a million and a half dollars from Mike Madigan. But even the ones who are beholden to him have to hide it these days. Exactly, right? mm-hmm. they have to to hide. Like Marty Moylan saying that he didn't take any money from Mike Madigan, when in fact you can easily show that he did take money from Mike Madigan. They know how and the unpopular. most of almost anybody else. I mean, yeah. not like a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, yeah, over a million dollars, upwards of two million dollars from Mike Madigan. Um, they know how unpopular he is. So in the next couple months, putting the pressure on these legislators to say, you know, this guy's been speaker since 1983. Um, we haven't liked the results for the state in that time. Why are you? Why do you keep voting for him for speaker? I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on legislators in swing districts, and it'll be really telling if they still go ahead and vote for him, especially if another candidate, maybe like a more progressive Democrat, mm-hmm. wants to run against him, and people still choose Mike Madigan. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really telling. And what I mean, what's J.B. Pritzker going to say? He's been totally right. silent on Madigan. So yeah. if there was a progressive challenger who was more in line with J.B.'s uh, you know, proposed policy issues during the campaign, that's going to be very awkward. Uh, and the, the fact that Madigan, that's another thing. I mean, this this might sound initially sort of naive to say, but a supermajority is not exactly the most comfortable position for Mike Madigan because you have a progressive wing of the party that can start saying, hey, why aren't we passing all of these massive progressive reforms with this supermajority? And it's exactly what happened in you know 2013 to 2014. And you're going to have a lot of progressive folks in the Democratic Party, the Will Gazzardis, the Kelly Cassidys, saying, hey, look, why aren't we acting on this? Yeah, why aren't we, we acting at $50 So will there be a split? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the question of why those didn't get passed in 2013 and 2014 goes to what Mike Madigan's motivations are. He doesn't have a you know far-left progressive ideology the way you know certain newer Democrats do. He's mainly in this to be a power broker, right? He's sort of an old school machine Democrat. And the problem with passing any issue, you know, take minimum wage, the, the fight for 15, that's very popular with, you know, the far left Democratic base. Um, if he had passed that, if he had increased the minimum wage in 2013, 2014, he wouldn't be able to campaign on it anymore. So he takes it exactly. away as a campaign issue. Exactly. Um, and the, it's the exact same thing with progressive tax. You know, he's probably thinking right now, how much traction can he get out of this? If he puts it on the ballot for 2020, that means it can't be used in 2022 when the next gubernatorial election happens. Uh, so, you know, there, there is a calculus that goes into that. Right. And Pritzker was was pretty <clears throat> calculated, too, during the campaign, obviously. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up in all this. Like, Austin, like you were saying, he's campaigning on these progressive issues. I tend to think he's mostly a politician and and really calculated so i i really wonder where he's going to end up on this stuff but i I don't think progressive voters will be happy if you know no and absolutely not and you're going to have fire obviously from republicans on him uh the the few republicans who are left and then uh from the progressive wing of the democratic party jb another issue besides the progressive tax besides minimum wage is the map making process which jb pritzker will be in charge of um if Democrats hold on to their majorities uh, in two years. So and he, and after, he's promised to veto any map that's um, gerrymandered. But he's, yeah, he said he's promised to veto a map that a politician has had a hand in drawing. So what happens to that promise when you have Mike Madigan, as who came into power based on his map-making prowess, who's drawn the map for three of the past four decades. And who's do, hoping to do it this time. Who's hoping obviously. to do it. Who would, yeah. and, and that is the biggest structural advantage of the Democratic Party in Illinois, is the fact that Democrats are able to draw the map. So what happens when you have a person who's trying to move to the left in, the, in a primary, Pritzker, say that it's going to be an independent map? Is he going to break that promise? 
Uh, if he does, I think that looks terrible for him, and it looks like he's beholden to Madigan. Uh, and you have to wonder, when Pritzker's coming into office, how much is he thinking about that? How much does he care that all of his agenda depends on the will of a single man and a lot of the promises he's made run counter to his interests? Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think he might understand that to a degree, but the reality is going to be interesting i think it'll he probably doesn't understand because he hasn't held elected office he's been in the arena for a long but I, time i think he'll find out i mean let's let's not forget that madigan had some pretty high profile fights with both governor blagojevich and governor quinn um because it, you know it turns out the same frustration rauner had once you get into the governor's office and you find out you know there's this shadow governor uh who's been in power since 1983 been in office since the early 1970s who sort of serves as the you know, de facto governor of the state, a Democratic governor is not going to like that either. The fact that they have to go through him to get their agenda passed. And there are things I think, you know, that they'll uh, butt heads about. You know, J.B. Pritzker has some, you know, good policy ideas. He's been in favor of certain criminal justice reform um, ideas that, that are good policy, as well as local government consolidation as a way to get property tax relief. He's spoken favorably about consolidation, the fact that we have too many units of local government. Uh, and those are issues that if he wants to get passed, he's probably going to have to fight Mike Madigan on them. The last factor I'll mention in that, too, is he's the first Democratic governor under Madigan who can outspend Madigan. Um, Madigan controls all the money for the Democratic Party in Illinois. And to get elected, J.B. Pritzker very clearly had a strategy of dumping as much money as possible into local uh, Democratic Party organizations and the state Democratic Party organization, which is Madigan. Uh, What happens on an issue where they butt heads and Pritzker can go to a lawmaker and say, don't worry, I'll fund your your reelection campaign? Yeah, and that's that's the thing with voting for him for speaker is a huge part of the reason every Democrat has to or feels like they have to is because he controls the campaign funds. So if you have this force, if Pritz- primary, and, and he right. controls the map, and he controls the map. So yeah, if no. Pritzker's saying, I'm, I have money and exactly. and I, the map isn't a factor anymore, that diminishes a lot of Madigan's influence. Yeah. So if, if Pritzker goes that route, that it is possible, like he could, he could say that he could fund campaigns and he could control the map. And all of a sudden that would mean lawmakers aren't beholden to Mike Madigan anymore. The qu- question is, would he go that route or will he just fall in line with Madigan? I think that, that remains to be seen, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to a question on Facebook live. Um, uh, somebody's asking about cannabis. Um, I, I don't know if we have a good indication of, of how that'll move forward. Obviously, J.B. Pritzker was campaigning. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that. I think it's very likely that it gets passed. Madigan, uh, Madigan <laughs> Michigan, the state of Michigan, uh, passed recreational cannabis legalization uh, last night. So we're going to, for the first time, have a neighboring state that allows that. Um, I think it's very likely. And that was a campaign promise by Pritzker. But, but I don't know if Mike Madigan's shown any you know where he stands on that issue that that that's the thing that's going to be interesting is is will he will mike madigan be okay with this progressive issue because he it's a good campaign issue so you might as well keep it around for the next election right that's true i i feel though you know um it's important because there's certain you know aspects of it that could be good without you know talking about all the pros and cons um but it's not a silver bullet to the state's finances yeah uh you know one of the issues that jb pritzker had is uh you know he'd be he'd be asked about um 
how he's going to pay for his spending and how he's going to finance this and close the deficit and all these different issues. And he had sort of three answers that he would rotate between the progressive income tax, legalizing recreational marijuana, and expansion of gambling. Well, the gambling expansion is about $12 million. It's a drop in the bucket. Uh, and, the, and that could even be revenue neutral depending on how they structure that. that yes. Because a lot of casinos yes. are going to say, um, we need to get a cut of that. Yep. And obviously more online gambling, you're going to have fewer... Uh, fewer like you can't have as much video gaming revenue you know it who knows right. how much that'll actually raise. it's it's silly the idea to to rely on marijuana and gambling totally. to, right and, and, and marijuana at the, at the very very high end and this is according to the marijuana policy project a group with you know skin in the game right. they want this they passed. the about. very very high end is 700 million that's a, a high-end estimate we have eight billion dollars in unpaid yeah. bills a 1.5 to $2 billion structural deficit each year, uh, it's not enough to solve the state's problems. I think if Madigan doesn't doesn't think it will hurt suburban Democrats and there's going to be such a scramble, and that's I think we should probably talk about this, is what the first six months or so of a Pritzker candidacy sure. looks like. Yep. Um, it's going to be a, scra- a mad dash for revenue, which is why it's important for folks in the Lincoln lobby to be aware of all of this stuff, because the next six months are going to be huge a huge uh, test of whether they can get a progressive tax on the 2020 ballot and what types of crazy revenue. I mean, we see this, we live in Chicago. We see this every year with the budget in Chicago. It's where can we nickel and dime to close the structural budget gap? And it's always, you know, we increase fines. uh, We come up with some, we sell off the parking meters. You know, what kind of crazy schemes are there going to be to try to close that gap? There's going to be borrowing, but the state's so close to a junk rating. So and those are all crutches. I think that's that's a great point. The reason that they're having to try to find sort of creative alternative sources for revenue. I mean, ordinarily, a government wouldn't try to be relying on gambling and marijuana to balance its budget, right? That's an odd thing to be doing. But it's it's a crutch to keep up their overspending because they are spending more than sort of the natural range of, of revenue growth. And so that's why they're having to look for these new sources, whether it's progressive income tax or these sort of oddball sources, vehicle miles traveled tax. They're, they're uh, propping up overspending. So if we can just, you know, create the, the goal of a balanced budget with no new tax hikes for this upcoming legislative session, and we can get that enacted, that'll be a major win for taxpayers. And that's why the progressive tax, to that point, that's why the progressive tax is such an important issue, right? Because you're going until you curtail spending you're going to have these fights every single year because the budget can't be balanced without structural spending reforms if a progressive tax is place is is put in place they can narrowly raise income tax rates on certain groups to make up that difference and we can't have that and they can play people against each other totally yeah and the first iteration won't even come close to anything that they want to achieve so that's it might be politically popular when it comes. They might say, oh, it's a small tax hike on the rich. But tax on billionaires like yeah. me, J.B. Pritzker, yeah. And then <coughs> when they need more revenue, they can adjust the rates over time. And that's right. how it becomes politically And that's feasible. why I think it's important to think of the flat tax provision in the Constitution as a protection for taxpayers. It's, it's a good budgeting measure. And it's also one of the few advantages that Illinois has uh, when we're competing with other states for new businesses. You know, other states are better on property taxes, workers' compensation co- uh, costs, uh, you know, liability from torts, all, all sorts of things. And uh, the one thing we have going for us is we have this flat tax, and so we shouldn't be giving that up uh, and, and, you know, giving up our one advantage as we're competing for businesses. Right. A lot of people caught, um, caught their, their attention, the vehicle miles tax 
Pritzker obviously walked that back because it wasn't popular once it became a campaign issue. Uh, do you guys have any sense of what the feasibility of a vehicle miles tax would be? Well, it's a bad policy if you tack it on top of the gas tax that we already have. Um, you know, the the idea of a gas tax is is similar to a vehicle miles traveled tax that you pay for the amount of road you use. Essentially, you're paying for it's a it's a user fee model. You're paying for the wear and tear that your driving puts on the road, and the more gas you buy, usually is a good indication of the more miles you've driven. That relationship's breaking down a little bit because of things like electric cars and hybrids and just more fuel-efficient cars. Um, so, you know, in in theory, a vehicle miles travel tax could be a more efficient way of, of doing that user fee model. Um, in Illinois, it would not be an efficient way. Exactly, <laughs> it's right. rare. Exactly, but, it, but it, a... it it cannot be tacked on top of uh, a gas tax, which is how they would use it. Exactly. Right, right. You know, the the problem is there's certain things that you know in tax theory might work, but you can't, you know, the political reality that they'll be added on top of the existing system rather than, you know, used as a revenue neutral or revenue negative, you know, tax relief plan, uh, mean that those are bad things. You shouldn't be supported. It's so widely hated too. And, and you think about the Madigan's calculus on a vehicle miles travel tax, you still have Democrats in areas like, um, in Peoria and in Champaign County in areas where you have people driving, a pretty far distance to work or, you know, especially in agricultural uh, industries in those areas, uh, that would be that would be the soda tax on steroids if you started taxing vehicles by the mile in those areas. So I don't think that's something Madigan would entertain. Yeah. And I, I think the tax on marijuana, if it's legalized, would be more, would be easier for, for voters to digest. So that's why um, I think they would go that route over a vehicle miles tax. Um, Another comment on Facebook while we're talking about tax burden, somebody asked about property taxes under J.B. Pritzker. Pritzker didn't really talk much about property tax reform during the campaign, obviously. Um, but also, there are so many factors that go into your property tax rate that's not connected to, to J.B. Pritzker. But that is going to be a big concern for people. A lot of people did vote. People who voted for a lot of Republicans in the suburbs were worried about property taxes. So what should voters be on the lookout for, or taxpayers be on the lookout for now? Well, I, I think there's a misconception out there that uh, state-level politicians don't matter for property taxes. I'll, I'll see, pe- see people say things like this all the time. Oh, well, the state doesn't collect the property tax. They don't so set the levy. They don't set the levy. You know, that, that's not who we should be talking about. it. But they do set the system that local governments operate in, and they have a lot of say in uh, how much local control taxpayers have to bring their property taxes down but also the system of local government that, that is driving our high property tax burden in the first place, which is that we've got too many school districts, uh, not schools, school districts, the, the overhead layer of administration, and too many units of local government overall at almost 7,000, far more than any other state, uh, far more than states with much larger populations like Texas and California. Uh, and so real property tax relief requires consolidation, but also pension reform, because pensions are taking up a larger and larger share of the property tax burden. Um, J.B. Pritzker hasn't really uh, tipped his hand on property taxes yet. He's got um, a quote-unquote plan that's not a plan. It's it's really a wish and a prayer that if you give schools more money from the state, that they will voluntarily cut their own property tax burden, which is 
not how government works. Maybe that's just his inexperience showing. But if you give government money, they will spend it. They will find a way to spend every dollar you give them. Uh, so just giving them more money is not, you know, from one source is not a way to get them to reduce their money from another source right. without some kind of constraint. The what J.B. Pritzker did say <laughs> did weigh in on the pension issue at least once in the final month or so of the campaign, saying that he didn't like the reforms made in Arizona. So that's mm-hmm. that's about the only tell he's given on. And he also said that people making six figure pensions weren't weren't a big problem yeah. uh, in Illinois, <laughs> which is crazy. It's um, not true. And even if it's not, so first of all, it is a problem. It's about seventeen percent of the payments that go out from pension funds are in excess of a hundred thousand um, dollars. And then secondly, it's it's a moral problem. You can't have people in Illinois losing their jobs or getting uh, you know getting pay cuts, taking a pay cut for a tax hike while you have people uh, making six-figure pensions. The other thing I'll say about pensions, and Adam's completely right, people need to understand, if you look at a city like Alton, for instance, we just had a story about this, uh, 80% of the city's property tax levy goes to pension payments. Um, In Springfield, I believe the entire city property tax levy goes to pensions. So Peoria, too. Next next year, it'll be their whole levy. You can't talk seriously about property tax reform without talking about pensions. Um, The two things I would say people would need to look out for is one uh, promise that a progressive tax, uh, that it would reduce property taxes magically, which is insane, and Adam just pointed out. The second is that uh, the state may look to bail out local government pension debt, which would be absurd given the level of debt that Illinois has. And I would fully expect us to become junk-rated if they were to make that move. Um, yes. and, it would t- and it totally removes uh, accountability uh, at the local level for the salaries that are driving those large pensions, and it doesn't solve the problem at all. Yeah, it's actually, it's, and it's going in the opposite direction we should be going. So the teacher's retirement system is 57% of the overall unfunded pension liability. It's the largest share of our pension debt right now. And I think a major reason for that is that local school districts are in charge of collective bargaining, uh, you know, creating the, the contracts with unions, and they're in charge of setting benefits and salaries. And those are things that go into the pension calculation, how fast pension benefits rise. And so they set the bill, but they don't pay the bill. Taxpayers overall pay it. Um, and that you know reduces their incentive to keep costs down. So what we should be doing is not, you know, we don't want to give them all of the debt that's been racked up so far because, you know, that would bankrupt them and 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 the state, you know, had they were operating under that system previously, but going forward the new pension cost is called the normal cost. School districts should be responsible for paying the cost of pensions that they create, not the state overall, and that'll give them an incentive to keep the price down. So the idea that the state would would take on that pension debt is the exact opposite direction of where we should be going. Right. Sticking on the property tax uh, issue, Cheryl Weber Gibson asks on Facebook, what about the Federal Reserve uh, question that a lot of voters saw on their ballots about the 1% property tax, the idea we saw floated around by the Fed uh, a few months ago? Um, where do you guys see that issue moving forward, if at all, really? I think that's too politically unpopular to move. Um, the reason that that was proposed was sort of an academic exercise by the Chicago Federal Reserve, an economist there, who uh, sort of looked at it from a disinterested godlike perspective and said, what would be the most efficient way, efficient in a very economic sense of the word, uh, to pay down pension debt in Illinois? And his suggestion was a 1% statewide property tax. What's What I want people to understand, however, is that their property taxes are already 
being used disproportionately to pay for pensions. It's not a new idea. To, there's all over the state, you see property tax levy after property tax levy, local government after local government, hiking the levy explicitly to pay for pensions. Your property taxes are going up to pay for pensions, period. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether there's a 1% statewide property tax or not. That's what they're going toward right now. So that's something people need to understand. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's not politically viable. Um, nobody's introduced a bill for a statewide property tax or pensions. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, there were some referendums, advisory referendums, opposing that idea. I, I haven't looked, but I'm sure that those passed uh, overwhelmingly. Nobody likes it. Uh, no legislator probably on either side of the aisle would be willing to touch it. And they were you know, undertaking an academic exercise, and they were operating under the constraint that the pension benefits have to be paid, that there's nothing the state right. can do to reform them. That's not true. Uh, J.B. Pritzker did oppose the Arizona model which is crazy because public sector unions were on board in the Arizona model. Um, but if we, were, if we change our constitution uh, to create a distinction between benefits people have already earned and the future growth in those benefits so that we can bring that future growth in line with what we can afford, uh, we can have pension reform that will allow us to lower property taxes and also help the state's finances. And the good thing is, even though J.B. Pritzker is opposed to it, it does not have to go to him for a signature. So a constitutional amendment needs to pass both houses uh, with a supermajority, and then it goes directly to voters to vote on for a referendum. So J.B. Pritzker doesn't get to veto it. He doesn't get to have a say in whether or not we do constitutional amendment for pension reform. Let's touch on the constitutional amendment for pension reform. Uh, constitutional amendment sounds kind of like a daunting thing, I think, to people sometimes. We, we've touched on the constitutional amendment and blogs on our website and on this podcast before. Uh, how do you guys see that moving forward, and, and how do you see the political landscape influencing you know, how it's undertaken? So the big question on constitutional amendments is whether or not there's going to be a progressive tax on there. Yeah. Um, I think maybe a way to think about it would be if if Democrats are successful, if if folks like the Lincoln Lobby, if folks in our community aren't pressuring their Democrat lawmakers uh, enough to stand up to the progressive tax, and that gets on the ballot, you would really want, as part of a compromise with that, to get an get a question on the ballot as well that says you need to amend uh, the pension clause in the Illinois Constitution, uh, and then you fight vigorously against the uh, progressive income tax question and you fight vigorously for the uh, the pension question that's those are just two things that could be on the ballot uh, I'm trying to think of other constitutional amendments that might be maybe something on fair maps but I, I doubt yeah, Madigan we're, would we're, we're, that we're also pushing two other constitutional amendments mm -hmm. uh, one that's a, a spending cap um, so it would basically tie the annual growth in state spending to the growth in the economy so that government can't outpace its funding source, which is taxpayers. So it ties lawmakers' ability to spend to taxpayers' ability to pay. And the other one's what I would call a true balanced budget amendment. Um, it's, it's often a point of confusion for people. We say Illinois hasn't had a truly balanced budget since 2001. And they say, well, why can't we sue them? Uh, you know, the Constitution requires a balanced budget. The problem is our current balanced budget requirement is completely toothless. It requires a balanced budget at the proposal stage. Um, so they need to say on paper, they need to make things look balanced, and that encourages all kinds of accounting gimmicks and phony math, which I've pointed out in the past. Um, but it does not require that the budget actually be balanced at the end of the year. Uh, so what, what we'd be better off having is what's called a no-deficit carryover amendment, which says that the, the revenue you get in a particular year uh, has to pay for all of that year's expenses. Um, 
so those those are the constitutional amendment ideas that are out there um, on the pension one in particular which you asked about I think it's worth remembering that the last time we tried pension reform was in 2013 when you had supermajority democratic control of the house and the senate and a democratic governor uh, and I think that's a good sign that it's possible to convince the majority party on this issue because the math isn't going away the math doesn't lie and if they do nothing to solve this problem, you know, like like you said, JB's coming into office with eight billion dollars in unpaid bills and a and a one point five billion dollar unbalanced budget for his first year that he might have to try to fix. And you know, when he gets people to give him a sober analysis of the state's finances, and he starts to realize that pensions are really the driving factor behind this, uh, and he gets out of campaign mode and starts thinking in in manager mode. You know, maybe he'll he'll even change his mind on yeah. the issue. Yeah, and enough people are engaged on the pension <clears throat> issue that they know they're starting to know, like connect the dots and know how big of a problem it is for the state. So in a way, if if Democrats don't act on this with super majorities, people might will be upset. That I think if if they don't the, see tax relief, they don't. They see will changes. own the failure at yeah. that point. So in that in that way, the super majority kind of is good that it applies more pressure. <clears throat> I think on it can, it can apply more pressure on state government. Yeah, there's going to be responsibility. Uh, squarely on the shoulders of Madigan and Pritzker for the next four years, uh, assuming that Democrats hold on. Yeah, d- does Pritzker want to be governor junk? Yep. Does he want to be the governor that sees Illinois' credit rating deteriorate to junk level, You know, knowing that he wants to do a capital bill, which is going to require borrowing money? Um, you know, and does Madigan want to see his, le- I mean, his legacy at that point would be tied to that. Speaker junk. Speaker yeah. junk. Speaker, he came in when he first became speaker in 1983, Illinois is a AAA rated state. Highest rating you could get. Only about a dozen other states had that rating. Uh, and now we have the worst credit rating in the nation, and we could become the first junk rated state ever. So those are two ba- massive egos, um, a billionaire running for governor and a guy who's been speaker of the house yeah. for three plus decades. We know how much Madigan cares about politics, but I think Pritzker is the same way. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be really motivated by uh, maintaining his well, image. And, and pensions are the number one reason for that poor credit rating. <clears throat> Just one notch above junk. <clears throat> Excuse me. Across all three ratings agencies, they all point to pensions as the problem. Um, so, you know, J.B. Pritzker or whoever on the left uh, or, you know, whatever people in the sort of establishment status quo defending uh, wing of Illinois politics might say, they might say that we're exaggerating the pension issue. Well, is Moody's exaggerating? Is S&P exaggerating? Is Fitch exaggerating? Like, J.P. Morgan? Is, is, J.P. Any, Mor- is like, any financial analyst exaggerating? Right. Every, everyone. So we addressed kind of the first six months of a Pritzker administration. I want to take one question um, from Facebook, but also add a little twist to it. So somebody asked, what do you think the first, very first order of business would be with Madigan's new supermajority? But I also want to add to that, thinking of that, um, how, how should Lincoln lobby members and, and our readers, um, you know, apply pressure and follow up with whatever those first few orders are? I think the first thing is to be, to follow what's happening and be informed because every single decision from this point on uh, is going to be, you're going to put that on a list and you're going to say over this term, what was this person able to accomplish and what would, what did this person fail on? Uh, and there's not going to be a, a really strong uh, party voice, like the Republican Party is not going to be a strong voice in doing that. So you have to be that voice. Um, one thing that we didn't mention that I think is going to be a huge thing to look at in the first six months is Pritzker is going to have to negotiate the AFSCME contract, which is the largest 
contract in the state. Uh, Rauner tried to implement reforms and he was held off in court for three years, specifically for this reason, where AFSCME funded and got all its members behind a new governor that would give them a con better contract. They tried to cut Rauner out of the negotiations. They tried, yeah, they tried twice, actually, to cut Rauner out of negotiations entirely and send it to uh, a pretty biased uh, labor negotiation board to decide the contract that all of us would have to pay. So uh, Pritzker is going to be face staring down this massive deficit and AFSCME just carried him into office in some sense what is he going to do? Uh, is yeah. he going to cave completely? They're already the highest paid state workers in the nation. They already receive pensions that are far out of line with what anyone else receives. And they um, receive platinum level health insurance at bronze amazing level Amazing health insurance, amazing health insurance that none of us could ever expect in the private sector. Um, what else is he going to give? What else is he going to give them uh, in the face of such suffering on the taxpayer end of things? Um. And we'll keep everyone updated, obviously, exactly. about what that, what that, what's going on there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I just, I want to add again that this is the time to fight, right? You know, it's not the time to give up. It's not the time to move out. Um, at least I hope you don't move out. But, uh, you know, for those who are here and those who are staying in Illinois, that this is their home, this is the time to be engaged, to fight these issues. Your voice still matters, um, matters more than ever that you uh, you know stay informed about bills that are moving in the legislature and that you actively engage your lawmaker uh, and the governor's office in telling them what you support and what you don't support. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, there, there, as we've said over and over again on this podcast, there is going to be a lot of pressure on these people and a lot of <clears> them <throat> can be convinced on a lot of issues because they're motivated by politics. And speaking of, we have an event November 5th, November 14th, Wednesday, November 14th in Springfield. Um, you talk to our government affairs experts, you go to our office, we have a beautiful office in Springfield. Uh, it's free lunch, you'll learn a lot. Um, and it's crucial that you are informed and engaged, uh, especially in these next two years. So I'd highly encourage folks to go Absolutely. to that. Absolutely, definitely. Let's, let's wrap um, with one thing. What is one thing that you guys are most optimistic about uh, going forward and maybe also something that you're most curious about. Adam, we can start with you. I'm an optimist on, on pension reform. I think that, you know, at the local level, it's becoming more and more apparent that it's a problem. Municipalities are struggling with it. And I think once J.B. Pritzker gets in office um, and, you know, here's the, the real financial reports, he'll understand what an issue it is for the state's finances. And I think that we can get something done on that and hopefully get an amendment on the 2020 ballot. It's the next time voters will have a chance to vote on it. Um, and I think that's the most important thing that we can do to save the state is pension reform. So. Um, I'm curious to see, I mean, for the first time since I've been doing this work, uh, Madigan has no scapegoat. Um, all of Illinois' economic problems, our problems without migration, our problems with our finances, our problems with our taxes being too high, there's no one to blame now. Uh, and anything you complain about from a Madigan perspective or a Pritzker perspective, you theoretically have the power to change. So you can't, you can't complain, you have to govern. Uh, and I'm very curious to see whether they'll be able to do that or whether, uh, you know, folks like the Lincoln Lobby are able to engage their lawmaker, be educated on these issues, and create something Illinois has never seen, which is sort of a cleavage in the Democratic Party around pro-taxpayer policies. 
that's really exciting to me. That's that's what I was going to say too, because it really presents an opportunity. And I think I hope people see that that it's it's not a doom and gloom situation. There's a real opportunity here because with divided government over the last four years, you just had Madigan blaming Rauner or uh, politically scapegoating Rauner, but now you have a situation where he, he, there's no excuses, like you said, Austin. Like he can't have an excuse for not implementing any of their agenda. Um, but it's a matter of will they what course will they take what course will Pritzker take is he gonna follow up on the progressive promises that he made is he going to back a new speaker if he needs to at some point um where we end up on maps um it creates a really interesting situation and people who are engaged on state politics have a lot of say in this to keep the pressure on and influence the outcomes that we're talking about um jb Pritzker will will succumb to public opinion I think um, yeah I, th- I think their ability to scapegoat is directly related to how much pressure we as taxpayers put on them if <clears throat> if the Lincoln lobby stays informed and engaged and active and makes their voice heard uh, then we can hold them accountable for things like Pritzker promising to veto a gerrymandered map I mean when that issue comes up, Every member of the Lincoln lobby should call the governor's office and tell him to veto it. And if we do that, he's going to have to. I mean, they, they will cave uh, to, to public pressure, but we need to make sure that we keep it up. Yeah. When we talk about that, I always like to think of a couple of years ago uh, when John Carlton introduced some kind of iteration of the vehicle miles tax mm-hmm. and his office was flooded with phone calls and emails mm-hmm. and then. Well, I think what well, went in the same day he backtracked on it, mm-hmm. and that's a person who has a super who could do whatever he wants in the Senate. Yeah. I mean, he has a super majority. Madigan in the '90s was an advocate against an income tax because it was politically uh, the right move for him. So it comes from the bottom up. Yeah, for him, Madigan has uh, several years ago ran attack ads against himself in a swing legislative district because he knew how unpopular he was. They, these guys are politically calculated, and if if we put the pressure on them, I think we could see a lot of good outcomes moving forward. All right. Thank you guys for, for tuning in to the live stream today on Facebook. Uh, this full episode will also be available on iTunes probably later today. If you're not already subscribed to the Policy Shop, please do so. Maybe give us a five-star review too. Um, but Adam, Austin, thank you guys for Thanks, your analysis. Appreciate Thanks, it. To stay up to date on the issues we discussed on today's episode, please do consider joining our private Facebook group, The Lincoln Lobby. It's up to taxpayers to stay vigilant, and if so, as we talked about on the show, there could be new and exciting opportunities ahead. Thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, this has been The Policy Shop. Policy Shop.